For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Virginia stumbles again at home against Carolina, while Virginia Tech has a big celebration for its women's program. We pay tribute to the career of Jeff Jones, and we talk about the topic of the week, court stormings. All that and more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome to episode 137 of Teal and Barber, our Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite pods. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 15-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. Morning, David. Mike, did you ever storm the court at the rack? You know what's funny is I was on the court for multiple stormings, but I I was sitting in press row. I got uh, involved in the student newspaper real early uh, as a freshman, and, and I had very few fan experiences uh, at the rack, but there were some good ones. I remember Georgetown. I remember Syracuse. Both of those were, were big Mondays. Uh, so while yes, I was on the court technically when it was stormed, uh, I was pecking away at a laptop there, they're sitting courtside. How we about you? Have, we didn't have laptops when I was in college, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you had to protect your typewriter. <laughs> no, just had to protect our notebook. Yeah. I was I was in the stands for many a game at Godwin Hall uh, at JMU, but we never stormed the floor. And it would have been easy because the bleachers were right there. I was just going to say, I wonder if part of the reason was it, it wouldn't feel so momentous to take two steps forward. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, I, I think to me, uh, you know, the image is always football. It's it's the kids going over the wall, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where it actually is more reminiscent of a storming, <laughs> right? You're yes. you're, um, but but it is. David, we're talking about it because it's the topic of the week. Because yep. w- Wake Forest, uh, they upset Duke. It was a big win for Steve Forbes and his program. Uh, probably put them in the NCAA tournament field. No question why the fans were excited. They stormed the court. One of them collides with Duke star Kyle Filipowski, injures his knee. Doesn't sound like it's a major injury. In fact, he could be back for the team's game on Wednesday. But coming on the heels of a similar incident with with Iowa women's star Caitlin Clark, the debate's been renewed about whether or not court storming should even be allowed in the college game. Virginia coach Tony Bennett said he's okay with the stormings as long as security is in place to get the visiting team off the floor safely. I asked Virginia Tech coach Mike Young about the topic, and he said enough is enough. I don't like it. Uh, I would uh, like to see it um, forbidden and a heavy fine. I think I saw where LSU was fined $100,000. I think that's an SEC rule. Mike, like everything else that pertains to the Atlantic Coast Conference, I have great faith in Jim Phillips and uh, and our leadership group uh, to, uh, to get it right. I do not think it has any place in in college sports. It's dangerous for everyone involved. It remains to be seen what you know what what happens there. So, David, where, where do you fall here? Have you seen enough of the court stormings? Uh, are they too dangerous, or is it such a fun part of the college game that we've got to find a way to make it work? Mike, I think we need to find a way 
to make it work. <laughs> I've seen all kinds of suggestions from coaches, administrators, media. I think Jay Billis suggested roping off the court and anyone caught inside of it gets arrested. Very, very simple. Then I've heard Greg Byrne, the athletic director at Alabama, said, forget all these fines. Here's how you stop it. If your fans storm the court, you forfeit. That seems a little extreme. And, oh, my gosh, you know, who's going there? What commissioner is going to decide what exactly entailed a court storming? I just think Wake Forest and its security people were caught unprepared. And that's on them. And you've been to Joel Coliseum, as have I. The visitors have a pretty easy escape hatch. That tunnel toward the locker room is literally right next to their bench. All they had to do is make a hard left, and they're gone. But the fans got on them too quickly, and that's on security. You don't have to hold them back for long to get those athletes off the floor. Yeah, there just seemed like there was a uh, general unawareness of, of what was about to happen uh, by the people at Wake, and and that creates this conversation. David, I'm with you in, in terms of, one, I, I like them. Um, they're fake now, though, right? I mean, it it used to be this this thing, this this not act of defiance, but you were you were literally storming someplace you weren't supposed to be. And now, in most cases, they're opening the gates if there's yeah. gates, right? At, at Castle Coliseum, when it happens, they open those swinging. You're not climbing over the wall. It's it's not the same uh, invading force that that it, that it used to be. It's still a great moment. It's a great visual. It's a great celebration for the fans. Um, I, I think programs, athletes, coaches are too distant from the fan base often. And it's one of the few moments where you really have that sort of genuine uh, camaraderie together. I, I don't want to see it go away. I've seen places like Duke and Virginia where they have a pretty good system, right? They they kind of rope things off. They get you through your tunnel and, and that's that. It seems to me very doable. And we don't need to talk about forfeits and arrests and all of those things. Uh, it, it's not hard to stop court stormings. I really don't think that, right? Everything you just mentioned I think would work. I don't think you want to stop them. I think you want to make them viable, make them feasible. So things like what happened to Filipowski don't happen again. Exactly. And where I think, Mike, they're more problematic is football. Because number one, the the, the players, you know, in their helmets and, and pads and they're bigger. And I mean, folks could really could get hurt. The people coming on the field and there's just, there's a so many more athletes and coaches to get off the field and more spectators trying to get on that that's where it gets a little dicey. And you mentioned earlier that they've almost become fake and staged. In that way, they remind me of cutting down the nets because the way it used to be, you get on the shoulders of teammates, or an assistant coach, <clears throat> and now we we bring out the ladder, which is a sponsored ladder, the official and, Werner ladder of the. Yeah, well, I see. Yeah. I wasn't going to mention. I wasn't going to give him the satisfaction. I'm hoping but, to charge them for a commercial. Yeah, very <laughs> wise on your part. <laughs> but th that's how the the court stormings are, are reminiscent of of the cutting down the nets. Yeah, you know, you make a great point about football because that storming can occur. The teams can be anywhere on the field, right? 
So in terms of, are, are you close to your locker room? Or are you not? Um, you've got the whole sideline. You've got the equipment issue. There's a lot going on there. Um, you know, it is interesting to see ESPN sort of bemoan the the, the court storming and the danger oh, of it all. Oh, that, that is such, what? that is so rich. Right. They just love to show the video. Come on now. It, it, it is in their sort of director's manual of, hey, before you leave the broadcast, you cut away from the court storming picture. And, um, but yeah, I, I do think it, it's like anything else, David. I just watched, and if you haven't seen it, I, I recommend it. The the Malice at the uh, Palace documentary that's on Netflix. Uh, going back Ooh. and and, and um, you know that that was an awful night, and it was really interesting to um, hear from the players involved. Kind of years later, now that they're free to speak, that because you know all the legal cloud isn't over them, and it, it reminds me of, of the thing I've always felt about court stormings about you know one double a coaches having to work their way through the stands to get down for the all it takes is one bad actor to really turn this into something bad so while i do love the stormings and i hope they find a way to do it my concern is that maybe we put an end to them before that incident maybe we don't wait for that one bad actor where you say okay this can never happen again is that fair you know it's it's the proverbial one rotten apple spoiling the bunch but it's always been my concern and, and watching that documentary kind of reminded me it just takes one person out of all those fans to, to have a bad intention to really create a bad situation. Yes. I mean, it, it, at least with the, the core stormings, the people are happy, right? The, the, there was very little happiness in, in, in malice at the palace. <laughs> it, it wasn't, enthusiasm and excitement at, at an outcome that sparked all that that's true but but think about all the and i think we've largely put them behind us thankfully but um, when i was a kid every championship uh parade and rally seemed to be met with some sort of at least mini riot and cars okay. being t- and, and it's just again you're absolutely right most of the people there but it only takes one who who that's and it just um it's it's always been a concern of mine in a million areas of sports in a million areas where fans and, and athletes intersect um you know, 99% of fans are great. It's, I would say that about Twitter. Most of the people I interact with on Twitter, but man, some of the loudest ones make you cringe and want, make you want to get off that app. Uh, that's always been my concern. But but I think I think the step in between, David, you're right, is to just make sure we have a safe protocol for, for getting these guys on and off the floor uh, when that happens. Because when it is organic and it is genuine, I think it's pretty awesome. Agreed. And it's it's funny you you are interesting that you mentioned the, the the malice at the palace with the Pistons because Paul Brazo, the ACC's senior associate commissioner for hoops, he was front and center. He was in the NBA office working back then, and that fell into his lap. Yeah, and that's the kind of mess nobody wants to have. Now, the ACC is one of the few conferences that doesn't have. Anything, right? Yeah. Policy on it, no fines. Um, you know, we saw it was just LSU that just got a, a six figure fine for a court storming. The ACC doesn't have any of that. Um, I would anticipate, if nothing else, there is some sort of formal policy forthcoming. But, but again, um, do you want to legislate it out of out of the game, out of, out of the league? I, I don't think so. Yeah, Mike, uh, I've Brett Yormark, the Big Twelve commissioner. He told someone in the media, I wish I, I knew who uh, or remembered who, that the commissioners today, we're, we're recording this Tuesday morning, that the power conference commissioners are 
meeting virtually today to discuss this very topic because it's it's not an indiv- as your mark said it's not an individual issue it's an industry issue yeah yeah absolutely and and like so many other things right nil transfer portal we'll, we'll be better off if everybody's on the same page, whatever it is, um, because you got non-conference games, right? And if you get to the point where players and coaches expect a certain procedure and it changes by league to league, state to state, that's not a great scenario either. So, you know, uniformity would help college athletics in in, in so many ways. Um, And this is just sort of the latest topic there. No question. And and I think it will be addressed quite quickly uh, because you know you've you've got these regular season finale ra- rivalry games coming up so you, you you've got to have some uh, guardrails in place and if nothing else we live in a very litigious society and i'm sure that every athletic director has had a meeting with their facilities person to say okay even if there isn't a formal policy we need to have our procedure because we don't want to be the next ones getting banged the way Wake Forest is getting banged. Well, you you mentioned you know, litigious society. What if Kyle Filipowski had torn his ACL? Yeah. Somebody somebody suing somebody? S- certainly would it be within uh within the realm of reasonable. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, nobody wants to be on on the hook for that. Um and again, it's a tough topic because it's a dangerous situation and the easy answer is to say, don't do it. Um, but it does add something to, to the fan experience and, and to everybody else and to the game. Um, I hope they find a balance. David, it wasn't, it was not an issue Saturday at JPJ. <laughs> uh, the, the rush of fans, no. the rush of fans, they were headed to the door, yes, not to the court. Uh, it was a better uh, performance, especially defensively, more competitive. Defensive, uh, offensively, it, it was an unmitigated train wreck, D- David. I mean, there was a stretch there where Virginia missed, what, 22 of 23 shots. Their only make was a Buchanan dunk. Uh, they couldn't throw it in water off a boat. They lose by 10. Again, a more competitive game against a good opponent in, in Carolina. But with their offense, they simply had no chance. What did you take away from that? First of all, Mike, it's really hard to miss 22 of 23 shots. And I don't think there's, maybe I'm wrong. Tony Bennett said he was going to have to go back and look at the video. I didn't think many of them were bad shots. Really didn't. And it was it, it was interesting to be there in the arena because groans accompany most every missed shot. Oh. Well, this, it was reaching a crescendo. I mean, each time they're like, oh my God, another one? And the groans just became louder and louder. And the fans were just, when are we going to make one? And you know, it's weighing on the athletes. There is no question that it got in their heads. And the prevailing issue is whether they can get it out of their heads before Tomorrow night at Boston College, Saturday at Cameron, and then the following Saturday at home against Georgia Tech, because that's all they have left in the regular season. And they've got to figure it out. I I asked Tony Bennett about that uh, on the teleconference, and he said, you know, we don't do any meditations or anything. And then he kind of paused. He said, maybe we should. And uh, they do need to, to figure it out. Now, it is not just about missing shots. That's a huge part of it. Reese Beekman missed a layup late in that game that that kind of really drove home the fact that it's it's team wide but it's what defenses are doing and defenses have figured out about this virginia team that makes me wonder Mm -hmm. if this is solvable 
what we have seen from opposing defenses the last three outings and, and maybe more for uh, Pittsburgh, uh, but really going back, I thought, to the first weight game in Winston-Salem is the idea that you don't have to defend Ryan Dunn on the perimeter. You don't have to closely defend Andrew Rohde on the perimeter. You don't have to defend Miner and Buchanan uh, at the free throw line extended unless they're on the low block. You don't have to. So there are all these pieces that Virginia needs for other reasons on the floor that you can slough off of, that you can leave to make sure that Isaac McNeely, Reese Beekman, Jake Groves don't get wide open looks from three and get into that rhythm. David, during the eight game win streak, that was the formula, right? I mean, everybody. Beekman, McNeely, Groves, and Tane Murray were knocking down threes, and it just opened everything up for for Virginia offensively. Since then, that has, it's an understatement to say, that has not been the case. No, and you know, the, the last game in that winning streak was in Tallahassee. They score 80 points against a, tradi- a perennially good defensive team in the Seminoles. McNeely had, what, a career-high 29. Groves knocked down a couple of threes. And you're thinking, wow, they've really got it cooking. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it, it the juxtaposition has been so jarring because it's gone from that in, in where you think that's a sweet, that, that's a second week of the NCAA tournament team to, oh my God, they are now only the second team in the shot clock era to score fewer than 50 points in an AC in three consecutive ACC games. And the only other team to do that, Wake Forest back in the mid 80s, number one, that was with a 45 second shot clock. Number two, that Wake Forest team stunk. They went 0-14 in the league. Yeah, it is not a marker of a team that's having a successful year. And and David, it's I know everybody talks about, you know, the slower pace, the lower possession, but these are missed shots we're talking about. This isn't um, you know, you got fewer shots. This is about not putting the ball in the basket. It, it is everything working to an extent, right? They're doing all the things they want. They're making you work. They're getting late into the shot clock. They're taking their shot and they can't get it in. The last three games, their shooting percentage has dropped 40.7% against Wake, 32.7 against Virginia Tech, 276 against Carolina. You can't win that way. They're eight for 39 from three-point range in the last three games. You can't win that way. They're averaging 8.7 turnovers a game uh, the last three. That's not great when you're in a low possession game. And as as famously has been talked about and we've written about, they're 16 of 33 at the free throw line. So even when you're unguarded and you're 15 feet away, they can't throw the ball in the hoop. I, I don't know what the solution is. I'm not sure Tony Bennett and his staff know. But they, but they do know that they're capable of it because they've done it before. So it's not a foreign concept. But we, we said earlier that the team that was in Tallahassee offensively looked like a Sweet 16 team. Mike, let's just presume that they lose Saturday at Duke. They better not lose to BC or Georgia Tech. Because frankly, if you, and I know the BC game is on the road, it's a nine o'clock tip. There's going to be about 30 people there, you included. That's tricky. That's a bring your own juice type of game, right? Because oh, yeah. ain't nobody in the crowd going to get you amped up. But at this stage of the season, in late February, early March, if you can't beat two teams who combined have as many ACC wins as you do, you have 11, they have five and six respectively. If you can't win those two games, I'm not sure you belong in the end, that you deserve to be in the NCAA tournament. 
Yeah. If your bubble bursts because you lost to Boston College or Georgia Tech in the last week and a half of the season, you know who to blame. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and yeah, maybe they're good enough and maybe at their best they're this or that, but it's right in front of them. David, I do believe if they beat Boston College and Georgia Tech, even with the Duke loss, I think they're in. You would agree with that? I think almost certainly. N- n- nothing is right. 100%. But yes. Now, would they be a very low seed? Also, yes. Maybe even a first four team in Dayton. Could be. I mean, an an ACC team has been in Dayton at least each of the last two turns because Pitt was there last year and Notre Dame was there the previous season. Well, Virginia needs to get its act together if it wants to be part of March Madness. But the women who play down the road at Virginia Tech, they don't don't have too much to worry about. We're going to (laughs) talk about them here after this commercial break. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, David, Virginia Tech celebrated Senior Day for for two of maybe the program's all-time biggest stars in Elizabeth Mm -hmm. Kitley and and Georgia Amore. College game day was on hand. They went and beat North Carolina. You were there. First off, forget basketball for a second. What was the scene like? Uh, We we talked at the opening about fans and and passion. And uh, what was it like with college game day and with the fans celebrating uh, these two tremendous players? It was everything that college game day wants the scene to be students outside the arena for hours beforehand queuing up to 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 get in for the broadcast which was at 11 a.m and the game wasn't until 2 p.m and i i got there about 10 40 and you know where the parking is across beamer way from castle coliseum i was deep in the parking lot and i got out of my car and i could hear the let's go hokies from inside the castle. And this is 20 minutes before the broadcast and more than three hours before tip. And I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting. And then, you know, the the atmosphere itself for the game, it's their fifth sellout this regular season. This for a program that had never sold out a regular season game until this year. And it was it was great. It's everything you want from a home court advantage. And this is clearly a team that has captivated not only its fellow students, but it, its alums, the folks in Blacksburg, uh, as Georgia Amor said afternoon or said afterward, it is beyond cool how this town has embraced us. And she's right. They have. And I'll tell you something else, Mike, they've embraced them because the players have returned that affection. And I I probably should have found a way to weave this into the piece from the game that day. But as I was up in the press perch afterward writing, there was, I'd say, a couple dozen young people and their parents still lingering in the stands, waiting for Liz Kitley and Georgia Amor to come out and sign autographs. And those two young women, as exhausted as I'm sure they were, they stood there, they signed every last autograph that was requested. 
every last one until everyone and there were hugs and it wasn't just scribble and move on that's how you build that kind of bond it is on the court and off the court they're exactly what you need because let's be honest women's basketball is still the underdog story in yeah. terms of attracting fans i mean it made a lot of progress what caitlin clark has done um nationally what we've seen with virginia tech just kind of locally um but it's it's still a little bit of an uphill battle and to have star players of that caliber who are that accessible and who could make the fans feel like they're a part of the success. That's huge. David, at the end of the day, though, the fans don't care if you're not winning. <laughs> Correct. And this team is winning at an incredibly high level. They came back, both of these players for the chance to do what they did last year, maybe do more. So how good uh, is Kenny Brooks? bunch this year how far can kitley and, and amor take them mike i don't pretend to be an expert on women's college basketball um but number one they are a hell of a lot of fun to watch they can shoot it and they play a, a fast-paced offense john henson i did a radio hit on uh, acc today last week and Wes Durham and John Henson were the hosts. John Henson, the former Carolina big man told me that Liz Kitley's footwork in the low post reminds him of Dirk Nowitzki's. John Henson's a former first round NBA draft choice and an all ACC dude at North Carolina, big guy. He knows what he's talking about. And you watch Liz Kitley shoot that off one foot, fade away, and you think, you, you see it often enough, and yeah, I've seen that from Dirk a ton. And, you know, she scores 34 on senior day, matching her career high against an ACC opponent, and, and Amor goes for 19 and sets the school assists record for a career. Uh, she's fun. I mean, they've won 10 in a row, including four on the road over ranked opponents. They're the eighth ranked team in the country. They're going to be the top seed of the ACC tournament for the first time. They've clinched at least a share of their first ACC regular season title, a league that could produce up to nine NCAA tournament teams. Heck yeah, they can go back to the final four. You know, can they slay the giant that is Dawn Staley in South Carolina? You know, who knows? But you know, South Carolina went to the Final Four last year undefeated and lost. As I say, we've covered enough tournaments to know that there's there's no guarantee that you have to go through that particular Goliath. But Correct. yeah, it, you're 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 spot on in terms of. I mean, this team was was great a year ago. I think they're great again this year. It's interesting to hear maybe some of the development uh, in their game. And um, you know, another time we'll debate uh, the, the Belichick Brady, right? Kenny Brooks. <laughs> how important has he been in all this? Kitley and Amor, how, but right now they're together uh, and, and they look a little bit in terms of dominance, like like what Belichick Brady had. Uh, David, before we, we get out of here today, I, I want to talk about Jeff Jones and, and his retirement uh, mm -hmm. from coaching. Obviously a former UVA player, UVA assistant, UVA head coach. The mm -hmm. last 11 years, the, the head coach at Old Dominion. Before that, he was at American. And David, it's it's undeniably a sad story. He's been battling prostate cancer. In December, he had the heart attack out in Hawaii. What I loved about your, your piece from uh, his retirement press conference was uh, it's not packaged or presented as a sad story, right? Jeff no. is uh, really gotten i guess the best possible outlook here what, what did you hear and see from from jeff jones first of all mike he looked and sounded great 
And I told him so afterward. And he he giggled and he, he said, well, thank you. And he, he's lost weight. You know, a lot of the meds that he's been on have caused him to put on weight. And I, I said, how much have you lost? And he said, 31 pounds. It's like throwing deck chairs off the Titanic. I've got a long <laughs> way to go. And, 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 and those were, that was the kind of humor that he showed. Did he shed a tear or two? Absolutely. This is something he's been doing for 41 years, 32 as a head coach. Heck yeah, you're going to show some emotion. But it, it was emotion from the love of the game, the love of being part of a team, and to use his words, of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. And you don't have to be on a sports team to know what that's all you can just be part of a family or a work team. And that's, you know, that, that's how we're all supposed to connect as, as human beings. And I thought he, he was great yesterday. The press conference was 45 minutes. That I, then I sat with Jeff and Danae, his wife, in the locker room for another half hour, just kind of reminiscing. I was thinking to myself, the only two people who were at yesterday's news conference and were also at Jeff's introductory news conference as Virginia's head coach in 1989 were Jeff Jones and me. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much it. Well, maybe Wood Sealing, actually, because Wood is Old Dominion's AD. And back then, if memory serves, I think I have my timeline right, Wood was still an administrator uh, at, at UVA back when we were young. Uh, Jeff was 29 years old when Virginia hired him. I mean, he was really the accidental head coach and something he's more than willing to and playfully admits to. He was like the fourth choice. Um, And Rick Barnes famously turned down the job after accepting it. He was then at Providence. Um, But, you know, Jeff went to five NCAAs in eight years at Virginia. He American had never been to an NCAA tournament. He took them to two in a row. And then the last 11 at, uh, at Old Dominion. And he really wanted to come back because they're not very good this year. And he wanted to fix it. And he thought that he could. And he, he thinks that he could. But he knows that he needs to, as he said, prioritize health, family, and happiness. Those were his words. As you wrote in the piece, it's such a grind now, coaching college basketball. It it isn't something you can do with one foot in. And I think that's what he recognized. If there's a thing that bothers me about it is it's that. It's that he didn't really get to coach this last year. It's that he doesn't get to rebound and and recover from from where that program is. Because I do think... Um, and maybe we get too caught up in the media, but there should be a fitting ending to, to stories like yeah. his, right? And um, to see that not happen uh, is sad. But the fact that it that it's in a sense his choice, um, and, and that he's thought this through, and, and that um, he is in a good place with all of it, uh, I think that makes it uh, a little bit better for everyone else who kind of sits back and thinks, well, that that's a shame. Yeah, no, he'll he's going to spend a lot of time. He, and he admits, he says he does not have hobbies beyond reading. Um, he swore not to pick up golf or pickleball. Uh, no, oh, I, I, may, I may change his mind on pickleball. I, I, I know. No offense to, to you intended. Um, but it, one thing you will appreciate, Jeff and Danae have three dogs that he's going to spend a lot of time walking. Two of them are rescue dogs from Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. Oh, wow. 
and they they got him from from an organization in, in Virginia Beach, uh, which I thought was really cool. Something else that ended up on the cutting room floor last night as I was trying to put together the column. But um, and he loves the Nats. Uh, he's a little down on on the roster and recent results, but he's going to spend some time at at Nats Park. But they're going to stay in Norfolk and be part of the community and um, just wish him nothing but the best. And I think that the college basketball's loss will be the dog's gain because uh, <laughs> I'm sure they'll appreciate that. And, and my advice would be to to walk the dogs and, and maybe try pickleball. Spend them, give the Nats another year or two before you uh, go full full in with them because that that has a chance to be rough. But uh, we certainly hope he has a lot of fun with whatever he does next. We hope you had fun listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer and yours truly. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.